Virginia. I'm Chris Lang for the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to this episode of the Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. The 2023 Solheim Cup hasn't even taken place yet, but here in Virginia, we're deep into preparation mode for the 2024 event, which will take place at VSGA member club Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in Gainesville. The club has a long history of hosting elite events, including several President's Cups. Last February, right around this time, two-time major winner Stacey Lewis was named U.S. captain for this fall's matches in Spain. With a quick turnaround to 2024, the LPGA announced on Monday that Lewis will get a second turn at leading the U.S. squad when the world's elite women golfers converge on the Commonwealth in September 2024. It's quite an honor, as only four women have ever captained the U.S. team multiple times. They were Julie Inkster, Judy Rankin, Patty Sheehan, and Kathy Whitworth. All four are enshrined in the World Golf Hall of Fame, and one can assume Lewis has an excellent chance of joining them there in the future. Now, you may be asking why the Solheim Cup is being played in back-to-back years. For the answer, you first have to go back to 2001, when the Ryder Cup was postponed soon after the September 11th attacks. The Solheim Cup was originally played in even number years and continued to be played in that fashion through 2002. That year, the Ryder Cup and Solheim Cup were both played, and to separate the events, the next Solheim Cup was scheduled for 2003 to get it on the odd-year schedule and away from the Ryder Cup. Of course, then COVID happened, forcing the Ryder Cup to be postponed from 2020 to 2021. Again, both events were played in the same year, and that will be the case again in 2023, as the Ryder Cup is scheduled to be played in Italy soon after the Solheim Cup ends in Spain. Big year in Europe. To once again separate the events, the Solheim Cup will move back to even years going forward, thus the need to have the matches played again in 2024. The next one after that will be in 2026 back in Europe. Let's hope we don't have another world-changing event in our near future for the sake of all of our sanities. A bullet point look at Stacy's resume. She's won 13 times on the LPGA Tour and has won major titles at the 2011 Chevron Championship and the 2013 AIG Women's Open. She spent 264 weeks from 2011 through 16, ranked in the top 10 in the Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings, including 25 weeks at number one. She twice earned Rolex LPGA Player of the Year honors, and was a member of Team USA at the Summer Olympics in Brazil in 2016, finishing tied for fourth. She went undefeated in the 20, 2008 Curtis Cup and has represented the U.S. as a player in the Solheim Cup four times. A fifth trip in 2019 was cut short due to injury, but she worked as an unofficial assistant captain under Inkster in 2019 and a official assistant captain under Pat Hurst in 2021. You can see why the LPGA was eager to work Lewis into the rotation, even if she's still very much an active player who will spend the early part of this year juggling her duties as player and as Solheim Cup captain. She turns 38 in February and will be the youngest Solheim Cup captain in U.S. history. Stacy was in town earlier this week for press opportunities and to visit RTJ and the U.S. Capitol building. She even had a chance to attend the Washington Capitals game against the Carolina Hurricanes on Tuesday night as an honored guest. She carved some time out of her day to talk to the Virginia golf community about her role as captain and her background in golf. We recorded this on Monday, February 13th in her suite at the Conrad Hotel in Washington. Settle in for a conversation with U.S. Solheim Cup captain Stacy Lewis. Thanks for joining us today, Stacy, and letting the Virginia golf community get to know you a little bit ahead of next year's Solheim Cup. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, just first tell us your reaction when you first heard last year around this time that you were going to be the uh, the U.S. Solheim Cup captain, and then um, obviously it had, had yeah. to have been thrilling. So. Yeah, uh, thrilling, but a little bit surprising too. I, I kind of questioned. I said, you know, whether there was somebody in line that should be ahead of me or things like that. But you know, from the sounds of it, they sounded like they wanted me, and I was the right person. And then um, no intentions of doing two. Um, just thought it'd be a one year thing, and then as conversations started kind of behind the scenes, we, you know, we really just had to figure out a plan for the team and how, how the girls could be ready, how we could have everybody be prepared. And, um, and really the back-to-back is what made sense. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, it's, I guess I'm doing a good job so far. They Mm -hmm. didn't kick me out, but, um, but yeah, just the, it's what's easiest for the players, right? I mean, they, um, they need to be prepared. It'd be a little bit overwhelming to have two captains kind of on your back for a couple of years. So, um, so it, it's really what made sense for everybody. Is it kind of a strange cycle to doing this in back-to-back years? I understand why mm-hmm. it's happening, but uh, I mean, it's usually a two-year process. Yeah, and and that's the thing too is whoever is the captain deserves to have the full two-year experience, right? Where you really get to decide everything, you get to pick out the clothes, you get to make it your own, and it would be so shortened um, if that wasn't the case. But yeah, this is less than a year, I guess, between the two. Um, so it, it, it will have its challenges, um, but um, but it'll be exciting for, for this area. Yeah. Um, just what, what did you learn about the process from working with uh, Julie Inkster uh, initially about being mm-hmm. a captain and what, what goes into it? Yeah. So and I don't know why she ever did it or if she did it on purpose, <laughs> but she as the process went along, she really brought me in a lot on the pairings more once we were there and, and kind of what would work, what wouldn't work and singles lineup lineups on Sundays and just kind of the thought process behind that too. And, um, but I've, I've always just been kind of the person, like I just, I just pay attention and I like to learn. And so I'm always watching, watching what people are doing and, and how I can kind of put that in the memory bank, but also, and make, make myself better. What goes into that uh, that mm-hmm. process of, of making pairings? And is it just kind of mm-hmm. being in tune with the players and the relationships and things like that? Yeah, it's it's uh, we're using stats this year and being a little bit more analytical about it. Um, but it's also, you know, who the players want to play with, who they don't want to play with, um, personalities a little bit. Um, but more specifically, their game. You know, I think um, kind of use the example of, especially in like a best ball format, you don't want two players that birdie the same holes playing together right yeah but we've never but to have the analytics to tell you you know players are going to trend to birdie different holes just based on length or setup whatever it is and so we have data that's telling us that now and so um so we're able to use that to pair people up and and it makes more sense to the players and so it creates some buy-in there and they understand why we're putting two people together or why we're not putting two people together. Well, then an alternate shot too. You obviously have such a different dynamic there with the are You don't play it a whole lot in in, in regular, Mm -hmm. regular golf. I mean, um, so it's kind of cool to to see how how all that data works out. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah, we've got, we've got a team that's working with us. They're going to be able to project pairings for us and not just the best pairing, but what is the best four pairings that's, that are possible. So um, we've got a lot of really cool things we're working on and, won't be able to do a whole lot of specifics with it until the actual team is named, but Mm -hmm. it's also going to help us in making picks as well. The captain's picks of, you know, picking people that pair up well with certain players. 
Now, how many picks do you get for a captain's picks? I get three. Three? Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have people in mind already that you're kind of watching from afar and thinking about? Or? Um, no, I'm watching players, yeah. though. And, and I kind of have in the back of my mind who, you know, there's some young ones that I think are going to make the team. Um, just And I'd rather them. I wish they could all make it on their own. You know, mm-hmm. I think it it would um, it'd make things a little bit easier on them. Um, but... But the but the picks it, it definitely helps with pairings more than anything and um, picking the right people it it can also help with your your team room and your environment and um, you certainly don't want to pick someone that's going to divide things <laughs> yeah for sure I mean, we've seen that the Ryder Cup side <laughs> yes, too back yes. in the day so um, you know from your experience in playing in Solheim Cups what are what are the qualities of a good captain that you kind of want to embody um, gosh I I could think I feel like, you know I I played for you could call good and bad captains, but everybody had different personalities. Um, you know, I think these players, you know, if you're the rah-rah in your face, you're, the players aren't probably going to respond to you. So um, being a little bit more fun and staying loose and, um, you know, making sure they there's a, a, the environment and the people around them are are ones that can help them be successful. I mean, I feel like that's my job more than anything is – is controlling the environment and who's around the players and making their schedules as easy as possible. I mean, I'm, I mean, they know how to hit golf shots, right? They know how to hit putts. You know, that's that's one thing I'm not going to be helping them with. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's really about that environment and how I can, you know, just make it make it fun, make it relaxing, and um, you know, but also, you know, I want them to have that passion for the event and and love the Solheim Cup the way the same way I do. And when you go back to your first time playing in it, what was mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Just the, oh, so nerve wracking. Yes, yeah. so <laughs> nerve wracking. I, I mean, that tee, that first tee for any rookie is it's it's awful. I mean, you can't can't get any water down. Like your mouth is dry, your stomach feels horrible. Like it's 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 so hard. And so, I mean, I remember my first Solheim Cup. Rosie Jones was the captain, and just watching her and seeing everything that she does and gosh, I could never be captain. You got to do all these speeches and blah, blah, blah. And then here I am, you know, it's amazing just how you, you evolve and, and you learn and, um, and you're ready for the opportunity when it comes. I understand you haven't ruled out trying to, to be a playing, playing captain if possible. Is that something that's still yeah. kind it's, of on your radar? Yeah. It's still, it's, it's in the back of my mind. Yes. It's one of those things I feel like if I, so there's nine automatic spots and mm-hmm. if I make it off of one of those automatic spots, I feel like I need to play because that means I'm one of the best 12. Um, I don't see myself picking myself, um, sure. but I, I, I mean, truthfully, if there's 12 playing better than me, I think this team's going to be in a great spot. So that's, that's honestly what I'm hoping for. I'd, I really enjoyed the captain side, um, the last one specifically, and would just like to like to have one thing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, how much of a schedule are you playing this year? Is it pretty, mm-hmm. pretty normal, full, full schedule? Or? Fairly full. Yeah. Especially early in the year, I'm going to play as much as I can early in the year. Um, just to have some flexibility as I get closer to Solheim. So, mm-hmm. cause I, I'm getting, I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, how busy we're going to be and things like that. So, um, it's kind of playing it by year, but also staying busy this first part of the year. Yeah. And how are you trying to kind of balance the two? concentrating on your own game and yeah. continuing to, to, to play well and get better but yeah. while keeping an eye on the team as well. I feel honestly right now my time on the golf course is like my time to like decompress. <laughs> and it's like, it's one thing that like I, I'm comfortable there. I know what I'm doing 
And it's it's honestly like a getaway for me right right now where this this isn't going off. I can put it in the golf bag and I can turn it off and and not have to worry about it. So it's just it's that balancing act of kind of being where you are and and managing things as they come. Yeah. What are some of your favorite memories of playing in the Solheim Cup? Oh, man, the party in Germany after we won, the celebration that ensued. Um, Michelle Wee's parents dancing on the table <laughs> um, to that putt that Jarena, I mean, Germany was a lot of my experience, but uh, the putt that Jarena made um, to basically win it for us. Um, Julie dancing on the first tee in Des Moines. I mean, it's in pairing with Jarena um, when, when we kind of got that pairing figured out and then we rolled there for couple of Solheims we we did really good together and so just that time that time on the golf course with her um was a really important part of my my Solheim Cup career yeah how difficult is it to kind of just work your way into team mode Mm -hmm. when you play so many individual stroke play events yeah you're always competing against these other people and all of a sudden you've got to come together it's it's hard it's hard year because you know you're on a bus at least I can use Germany as an example. Like we, I mean, it was an hour from the hotel to the golf course mm. and we'd all get on the bus in the morning and it was dark outside. And then at, the, at night we all got on the bus and came back and it was dark outside, you know? So it was like, you're doing things out of your normal routine. You know, some people like to practice early. Some people like to practice late. Some like to work out and then practice or whatever it is. Like everybody just has the way they do things. And some adjust better than others to that, you know, of being able to flow with it. But, um, but it's, it's hard, you know, you're, um, everybody just kind of expects you to be able to do it when, I don't care who you talk to, golfers are selfish because you have to be. You have to be to be successful. You have to really care about yourself and care about your time management. And so it's hard to get out of that mode. But um, the more practice they get at it, the more teams they're on, um, they seem to handle it a little bit better. Um, with Europe having won the last two of these, do you, yes. are you feeling a little pressure to, to kind of turn I, things around I here? I am. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I felt any pressure in this whole thing cause I'm not having to hit shot, but, mm-hmm. um, but there is, you know, I think for the Solheim cup in general, like, you know, we got to get things straightened out and figured out, but it's also, you could say these last two cups have come down to maybe three or four shots total, yeah. you know? So it's, it things are going to be close. I think going forward, I don't think you're going to see a lot of blowouts. I think matches are going to be tight. Um, and that's just because the European team is so good. So, um, our girls are going to have to pay, play great and, and nothing's going to be handed to us. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the venue for 2024. The reason you're here, yes. um, uh, Robert Trent Jones, mm-hmm. Robert Trent Jones golf club over in uh, Gainesville. I yep. think you, you had an opportunity opportunity to visit it visit it last year is that correct we can yeah we came last summer did a media kickoff event mm-hmm. um i was on property i never i didn't really get out on the golf course though okay. so um but but the property itself is so cool you know right on the on the river there and where they're going to do opening ceremonies and just the history of having the president's cups there um really just adds a, a cool element um for our players yeah, and you've had some experience playing in Virginia down at Kings Mill, right? When, oh, when, yeah. they, when the tournament mm-hmm. was there, what was what was great about that tournament? Oh, I heard uh, so many things oh, about loved, the players. I know it. everybody loves company. Everybody mm-hmm. loved going to Kings Mill, and just I think the way the event was supported for so many years. I mean, you, such great fans there, and you knew what you were getting with the golf course. It was always in great shape, and um, but really, I, really the way we were supported for so many years. I mean, I think um, you know, hopefully. 
maybe this will kind of kickstart us being being here a little bit more consistently again. Yeah, want to touch on your golf journey a little bit. I know mm-hmm. that uh, you you had some pretty well documented back issues through high school and everything. Mm-hmm. What was kind of that the, the challenge of kind of fighting through that and still playing? high-level golf and, and yeah. getting a college scholarship and all yeah. these things. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call my high school golf high-level golf, but it was it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't I wasn't the best player on my high school team. Um, just kind of a gritty kid that um, didn't hit it very far. And, um, you know, the back, the back issues was a big part of it. It was a big part of that person that you see on the golf course and the person that I became because of, you know, I dealt with a lot of disappointments of – you know, okay, we're going to wear a back brace for two or three years and it turns into six and a half. You know, that disappointment every three or four months of the doctor saying three more months, four more months. I mean, when that goes on for four years, it's, you got to learn how to deal with it at some point. Right. And so, um, so it's a, it was, and then to have to have surgery after all that, after you did everything you're supposed to do, you know, so just the resiliency and, um, just being able to pull myself through those those times. I mean, I wouldn't say high school was my most favorite point in my life, um, and but now, I mean, it, it made me the person that I am. So, um, so I, I'm thankful for the journey. Yeah. What did the surgery do for you? I mean, it did, did mm-hmm. it kind of heal everything magically, or it or straightened up my spine. Yeah. So it it basically was going to improve life down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, the the issues with the curve are it starts to push on organs and your ribs and you can have some pretty bad issues there as you get older in life. Yeah. So, um, and if you do surgery when you're young, your body heals a lot faster, you're mm-hmm. able to come back. So, um, so it did that. I mean, my golf swing got a lot better. Yeah, I imagine. went from, I went from being really flat and inside hitting a big old hook to, I literally started hitting a fade. Like my first, I mean, I couldn't hit a hook when I came out of surgery and that was just purely, them straightening my spine up. I was just sitting there at a different angle. So now I struggle with, um, just alignment because what I think is straight is not straight. And so, um, so the brain still doesn't quite agree with, with the way the body is, but, um, but knock on wood, it's, um, it's been, it's all been good so far. Did you almost have to kind of relearn your golf swing at that point? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it completely changed my game. Um, just changed the, the shot that I saw coming off the face. Um, but it helps so much. I mean, a hook, when it hits the ground, it keeps going. When a fade hits the ground, it's staying right there. Yeah. So, um, so it, it completely changed my game. And then it also, I couldn't, they basically went and moved all the muscles in my back. And so the muscles weren't strong enough to just sit on the range and beat balls. And so it changed my short game because mm. that was all I could do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got so tired hitting balls that I just, I chipped and putted all the time. And, um, short game got amazingly better and just kept rolling from there. Speaking of international experience, I know you went five and zero at the uh, Curtis cup. I mean, Mm -hmm. how much did that playing in that event kind of prepare you for what you would see down the road and in a Solheim Mm -hmm. cup and that sort of thing? Um, It did a lot. I mean, Curtis cup was really a good kind of springboard to my career, my professional career of knowing that I could go play Mm -hmm. against the best players in the world um, just to compete on that big of a stage and, and, play as well as I did, obviously. Um, but just having that team experience, the match play experience and, um, just representing anytime you get to represent your country. I mean, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, you're the player director for the LPGA board. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Um, 
So what 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 does what does that entail? I wear a lot of hats these days. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it. <laughs> um, so we uh, we have six players that represent represent the body of players on our on our LPJ board, um, and we also have six independent directors that are from. They're somehow related to. They've been related to golf somehow, or they um, they were sponsors or however, but. Um, but they're very, very knowledgeable of golf and have helped us a lot in the business world. Um, but for me, I mean, I'm really there as the voice of the players and um, we're in on everything that's going on the, with the tour. Um, I, I know way more than I need to know because I can't talk about it now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things that, you know, you have to pretend that you know nothing about. And uh, but it's really I mean, it's it's cool to learn the ins and outs of the tour and everybody that's working so hard behind the scenes to make it happen and what's coming down the pipeline. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things coming that, um, that people don't know about. So yeah, we'll have to keep an it's eye an out exciting for those time. Things. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you had to identify maybe one key issue that, that really needs mm-hmm. improving in the women's professional game, what, mm-hmm. what would that be? Do you think? Um, probably just, I mean, everybody's kind of been talking about, it, but just our schedule a little bit, just get a little better flow for our players, but that's probably a, three to four year process, you know, just with contracts of sponsors and how they roll over and somebody's going to renew or not renew. I mean, it's, it's a process that we just can't say we're going to change next year's schedule. You know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work that way. So um, it's just that process of, of doing that. But I mean, we're in a really great spot. Our majors are as big as I've ever been. And I think they're just going to continue to get bigger, which is great. And our other, we got new sponsors coming on this year that are, are starting at a higher level purse wise than they have in the past. So, um, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. I think another thing is TV deal, more TV exposure and things like that is, is something that, you know, for the future, we need to, we need to really improve that too. Yeah. Wanted to ask you about your role as an ambassador for LPGA, USGA, uh, girls golf. I mean, mm-hmm. What goes into that and why is that so important to you? Well, that started, um, gosh, in Phoenix in 2012 when I won, I became number one in the world when I won the tournament. And I, when I, I turned around and looked down the fairway and there were all these girls just walking down the fairway behind me. And I'm like, gosh, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And just to see those kids and their excitement for the game. Um, I was like, I, I, I want to get involved. I want to figure out how I can help these girls and get more girls involved in the game. And so now having a four-year-old daughter of my own, mm-hmm. like now it's now it's even more important. You know, I want her to have a place where she can go learn the game in a safe environment and, but also learn, you know, the important parts of the game about, you know, respect and, you know, being quiet when the, when people are playing and just kind of learning, learning different things about the game that way too. She got had a club in her hand yet. I'm oh, assuming. Oh yes, she yeah. is. She's swinging away. She, she gets after it. It's funny how, I was watching her the other day and she starts taking the club and banging her toe. Well, that's what mom does all the time to get the dirt <laughs> off. And so she doesn't know why she's doing it, but you know, she's sitting there copying every move I make. So, um, it's all the more reason that you got to pay attention what you're doing around little kids. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, I guess we can end on this too. Mm-hmm. If you had a message for a, a junior girl who was trying mm-hmm. to get into the competitive world and, and, mm-hmm. and, college golf and pro golf what kind of messages or advice would you have for them um just to know that you can always get better i think even when you win golf tournaments there's always ways to improve but um 
whether it's at the local level, your country clubs member tournament, you know, like go, go play tournaments and go win a lot. They don't have to be AJGAs. They don't have to be the big national events. Like you can improve, you know, by just playing your local events. And so, um, I would just encourage them to play as many tournaments as I can, no matter no matter where they are and what golf course or how many holes it is. Just go play a lot. Yeah, and get that competition. That's right. Going, so. That's right. Awesome. Well, really appreciate your time here. Yeah, no worries. And we're, Thank you. Look, look forward to seeing you back here next year. I think I'll be here a few times okay. probably. So, no, Sounds thank great. you. Thanks for coming down. We appreciate it. All right. We want to thank Stacy for joining us on the podcast. I can't speak for everyone, but I'm pretty excited to have an incredible event like the Solheim Cup being played in our backyard at a VSJ member club. September 2024 is going to be a pretty big month around these parts as the U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship is scheduled at Kinlock and Independence in the Richmond area as well. Strap in for a lot of fun golf and a lot of really elite players coming to the state. If you'd like to read more about Stacy Lewis, check out her website at stacysback.com. That's S-T-A-C-Y-S. B-A-C-K.com. She has a great story of perseverance that can be a lesson for any young player going through physical struggles. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and until next time, so long.